Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast, where we strive to provide great preaching and teaching so that listeners will discover or rediscover the goodness, truth, and beauty of our Catholic faith. If you are interested in supporting the work we are doing, visit us at drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you are inspired, uplifted, and encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Dry Bones Ministries special podcast series on the book, Jesus, I Trust in You, diving into a 30-day personal retreat with the litany of trust. Glad you're back for a second day. I hope the the first day with the preface introduction and day one readings were good, and um, yeah, this, that this podcast, too, was a helpful aid in being able to just kind of explore some of the different topics and go deeper into this invitation to really see where the Lord is calling us to deeper abiding trust. Uh, I hope I mentioned it or emphasized it enough. I know there's a lot of information in the first one, but really just to emphasize that this retreat, this um, journey is really not about just finishing or getting through it, or we don't necessarily have like a deadline of we need to finish by this date or else. It's it's not that. And sometimes other consecration books or, or things kind of have that thing. You have a 33 days so that you can consecrate on the 34th day and you don't want to miss a single day. Just want to invite you to consider that this is different. Uh, as we yeah look at trust, we look at our own hearts, we look at our own history, and we look at our own past. And oftentimes we start to open up different things that are a lot. And so it's not just about plowing through them and, and moving on to the next one. And so just to invite you to really go at your own speed, at your own pace. It's not an excuse to be lazy or to um, dilly dally, but yeah, um, thinking about that. So today we enter into the petition from the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. And uh, yeah, just in complete honesty, this is definitely one for me where it just strikes deep and thinking about, yeah, um, I need to spend a lot of time on this and I need to really look at this and bring this to the Lord. Uh, Sister Faustina talks about bringing these different places of, uh, yeah, weaknesses or places where we don't feel um, worthy of love bring it out into the light of the Lord. And yeah, Jesus has just been showing me a lot where this is in my, in my own life. Yeah. Something I need to, to bring to him. How important is this topic? Gosh, in so many ways, this is really key and um, core. Did I say that last yesterday too? Um, And being able to really appreciate God's goodness and that it's not just about our own effort and to really take that to heart. Well, this too, right? This understanding, this acceptance that at the core of who we are, we are good. In the creation account in Genesis chapter one, it goes through God's creating everything effortlessly out of his own gratuitous love and culminating with the creation of man and woman and him saying it is very good. And so you and I made in the image and likeness of God are very good, which means that we are worthy of love. 
independent of what the world says, independent of our experience, independent, independent of, yeah, what we can come to believe and accept about ourselves. The reality is we are loved. I remember being really struck by seeing a baptism done by uh, this older priest that I really look up to and admire, and uh, his reflection in the in the homily was really a charge for the parents, the godparents, and the entire family. He says, you all have a really important task today, and it's to make sure that this beautiful baby boy never forgets that he's lovable. And they're all like, oh, okay. And he's like, no, really. Look, he's this cute, adorable baby right now. It's easy to like reflect back that he's lovable and to look at him and um, yeah, make faces at him, hold him and everything. But there's going to be a time in the not-so-distant future where his lovableness will probably be a little bit more difficult to see, (laughs) you know? It's like, yeah, those terrible twos or threes will come, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, more hormones will come, and then all of a sudden these different successes, these different failures will come, and there's going to be all these different temptations to try and see his lovableness based on these greatest successes or greatest failures or all these other temptations. And you all, he said, have to remind him that he is worthy of love, not because of any of these things, but because he is chosen by Jesus Christ today at his baptism, because he is made in love, by love, and for love. And so I think about that a a lot, right? And I steal that baptism homily often myself because I think it's so important how easy it is for us to come into these lies, these different traps of thinking that I'm only lovable, worthy of attention, worthy of admiration or acceptance or belonging based on what I can do or if I'm funny or if I have something to offer. I just know plenty of times in my own life thinking about, um, yeah, I was thinking, praying about what I wanted to share. And I remember in college just having this really interesting movement of the Holy Spirit in my own life about, um, yeah, tough time. I think I was a freshman at the time and wanting to stand out, wanting to make uh, these different connections, friendships, and um, playing basketball at the time. I remember one of the upperclassmen kind of, yeah, reaching out and pursuing me in in a way of, wanting to hang out more, wanting to, um, it was really just wanting to hang out. And I remember feeling really uncomfortable, like, wait, wait, like, are we going to work out? Are we like, are we going to study? Are we going to party? Are we like, what are we? He's like, yeah, you want to just, um, I don't know. Yeah. Go get something to eat. It's like, and, and yeah, just eat. It was like, yeah. yeah." And like, I don't know if I can articulate. There was just something within me that I had clearly in this, the Lord was showing me, I had so come to kind of think that I will, the friendship that I was able to offer was very much based on these different things that I could offer, that I could do, or that I could contribute to. And here was someone who I looked up to, admired, and, and he was interested in me. And that was frightening to me in, in this way that I couldn't quite articulate or comprehend fully, but I knew it within me. Like I was so afraid and I think I kind of like pushed back a little bit and not wanting to fully be available to him. And, and I'm sure that probably sent a mixed signal. And anyway, interesting, right? Like, I don't know if you can relate to this, this, this idea of 
someone really coming to look at us, pursue us, and us maybe feeling like, I don't know, we, we don't have a, a lot to offer. The story that Sister Faustina starts with, this woman who comes to uh, their community and her whole history of um, really trying to run and hide from her own weaknesses and insecurity and forming herself into this female bodybuilder trying to transform herself. Um, there was this line that she said in there that I thought was really, really insightful. How many of us could say this? And maybe we haven't said this explicitly out loud, but maybe even in our, our own hearts have come to believe this. Oh, if you only knew what I have in my heart, right? This, uh, this idea of not only like a weakness or an insecurity, um, but even a, a shame, you only knew what I have in my heart. And these are the things, right, that um, can really be formed as a, a belief that we can have of ourselves and come to accept it and believe it and live out of it. And, um, and here's, this, here's this reality she says at the bottom of page 16, that if we feel unlovable, we can have the sense that something has come between God and us. To feel as though we are beyond God's infinite love is an excruciating and isolating suffering. I was thinking about uh, in many of the different churches that I go to, there's all the different like people with their own seats and they have this pew or that pew or this location or this mass time. And one of the things that stuck out to me as a, a young priest is the, the group that in every single church, they stand in the back. And it's not for a lack of seat. There are plenty of open seats, and yet they stand in the back. And I know a temptation for me has been like, what's the deal? Like, is this just a convenience thing? Is this like a machismo thing? It's usually men. Uh, is this like a too cool to like be committed? Can you Do you need to like make sure that you have quick access to the door if you need to run or leave early? And I remember hearing from one individual just, an open, honest admission of just how unworthy he felt to be in church. And it was all he could do to bring himself just to be in the back of church, in the back of mass, probably in his own heart saying something similar to, if you only knew what I have in my heart. And not just to another person, not just to me as a priest, but even to say that to God. Again, what's the reality? Objective we are lovable because we're a work of art. We are a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's work of art. So we are made in love. We are made worthy of love. The problem is, um, she says this on the top of page 17. This is really important to kind of take to heart and to appreciate. That the closing of the door to my heart is a response to something painful something that altogether neither chosen or sought after led me to decide I should no longer be loved. What starts off as not liking certain parts of myself can grow into self-hatred if left unchecked. And if I hate myself, the thinking follows that others should too. Yet being loved for who we truly are is what we need most. Uh, there's an incredible... Um, novel that I, I read recently called Strangers and Sojourners. 
um, a fiction novel that has these beautiful Catholic uh, themes and, and plots and insights. And the one scene that w- that I was thinking of in, in terms of this was there's the, there's the scene of this one young boy who is out and he's shepherding these sheep and he comes across this wild bear. And as he tries to run and to escape it, he's able to flee for a, a while up a tree only to have um, fatigue and the weakness of this tree give out. And he falls down, falls flat on his back, only to be um, lose, loses wind and really to be mauled almost within inches of his life by this bear. And thankfully, um, his brother came in to, to be able to rescue him. He had a, a gun, so he was able to just kind of like separate, scare the bear off and, and bring him to, to safety. And he had this massive reconstructive surgery on really his whole body, but from his face all the way down um, his whole upper torso, just covered in scars. And the author goes on really to describe this internal angst and anguish of just feeling completely like a monster. And meanwhile, the people around him, right, his family are just trying to love him, just trying to like encourage him and say, you're good, you're a hero, you're alive, and we love you, and we're not going anywhere. And he just rejected it, like he couldn't hear it, he couldn't accept it, and um, and continued to isolate himself more and more from everyone else. And and really in the, the moment that, changed it for him was when he had his friend come over to see him and meanwhile right like here's this 17 year old boy you can just imagine like all the different people around the town like they're kind of hearing and we haven't seen him in a while and yet we've heard this like perfect story and here finally the courage of his friend to come over and to see him and of course if he would have told him that he was coming he wouldn't even have been around but he just kind of surprised him and immediately there's the shame. He, he turns away from his friend. He doesn't want to see him. But his friend just stands there. He just stands there and he says, I'm not going anywhere. And then he says even more, I'm not afraid either. Who told you that we didn't want to see you? Who told you that we weren't interested in, in welcoming you and, um, and living with you and, and loving you? And all of a sudden, right, just this friend coming and just mirroring back, right, like to speak out and to call out, like, who told you this? Like, who told you that you weren't worthy of a friendship? Who told you that you weren't worthy of life? Who told you that you weren't worthy of everything? And all of a sudden, the tears just start to roll down his eyes and he's able to recognize this isn't true. I'm made for more and the, the freedom that comes. So here's the thing, right? Like this, um, these invitations at the end of this chapter are just so good. And I would encourage all of you to really take time to bring this to the Lord in prayer. Um, the first one is this powerful, ask the Lord for light to see where you doubt your God given goodness. Am I aware of what makes me feel least worthy of love? That's a great thing to, to bring to the Lord. Um, and really maybe to to see how it's so tempting to build this whole identity out of uh, almost, yeah, this machismo or this uh, overcompensating to kind of cover up that we would be afraid of seeing our weaknesses or insecurities or our, our wounds exposed. And, and meanwhile, it's 
those things that when fully given over to the Lord can actually allow us to appreciate most profoundly just how good we are. And again, that our goodness doesn't come from what we can do or accomplish or even that our our worth is defined by, um, yeah, our, our failures or, or how lost we can be. This exposing, this exposing this part of us to God's healing love just is so powerful. Is there anything that would keep us from doing that? As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you need something to to pray with, um, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, I think are one of the most um, beautiful verses that really capture an incredible witness of courage to bring our weaknesses, our insecurities, or these false identities out into the light. And just to to read you quickly, Mark chapter 3, Jesus entered a synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand and they watched him, watching Jesus, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So I'm sure you've heard this story before, right? But just to really enter in kind of in this theme of from the fear that I am unlovable, that I'm not worthy of love. And here's this man, right? He doesn't even have a name, barely has a dignity, right? The only thing that he's associated with, oh, oh, that, yeah, that one. Yeah. He's the man with a withered hand, right? Like here's this deformity that he has that's visible. You know, how many of us have our own deformities, our own weaknesses, but we're able to hide them. And yet here, this man his weakness is visible for everyone to see. And so all of a sudden he's, he's a spectacle. And, and now it's even more of a spectacle as it's like, let's see if we can use the man with the withered hand to trap Jesus. And so this man, right? Like, who is he? He has a story. He has a mom. He has a dad. He probably had brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, right? Friends at school. And, and meanwhile, like, what was his identity? What was his understanding of who he was? Did he reduce himself to, I am this deformity? I'm, I'm not worthy of a real opportunity, a real life, or a real job, or a real relationship. And Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, come here. Right, I hear that, and I just hear that spoken to each and every one of us, right? The Lord invited this man to step out into the light, right? To not be afraid to... Um, come before the Lord, even in a, a public way in this situation with everyone watching and everyone uh, looking to criticize, come here, come here, come out into the light. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent and he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. Right? Like here's the invitation to courage. Here's the invitation to boldness. Here's the invitation to allow Jesus Christ who has been pursuing this man, just waiting for this moment to be able to show him you are not your greatest deformity. You're not your greatest weakness. You are not your greatest insecurity. You are not your greatest failure. You are not the sum of any of these things that the world might tell you. You are, 
You are the sum of the Father's love for you. That was John Paul II's line. You are the sum of the Father's love for you. Stretch out your hand. And as he stretched it out, his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Gosh, the hardness of these, uh, the Pharisaical heart that they wouldn't even be open to. The Lord healing, restoring life. Friends, this is our God. And this is what he wants to do to us, to set us free, to heal us and to restore us and to even just to cast out those fears that we're not worthy of his love and to infuse within us, not just a courage of this man with the withered hand, but ultimately right ground grounding. All of that is a trust, right? What did he see in Jesus's face? What did he hear in his voice? What did he see in his demeanor? What did he just perceive by his entire disposition that this man is worthy of trust that I can expose this, um, deepest fear, this deepest wound into the light to receive and experience his healing. This is where, as I said, right, there's just a lot here and to not feel like we need to rush through this or just move on to the next thing, but to linger, linger if we can, especially in the presence of the Lord, if we can make time in adoration and just even if it's that John chapter 15, verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you abide in my love. And gosh, it's so, it, this is hard. This is hard. It's easier to numb. It's easier to numb out through technology or through substances or just through distractions. And I'm really busy. I'm really busy. It's hard to have this choice. I'm going to choose to expose myself. I'm going to choose to abide in the Lord's love. So please, yeah, spend some time, spend some time praying with this, um, asking the Lord to reveal these different places where I would feel unlovable and to really ask what would keep me from exposing these to his healing love. If you need more time on this, great. Um, yeah, to go through the invitations at the end, as I said, I think those are really good and a great guide for us to go deeper. With that, let's... um turn to our back, our litany of trust. And yeah, I just really pray asking the Lord for the outpouring of his Holy Spirit to cast out all fears, all insecurities, anything that would keep me from really praying this prayer from the depth of my heart. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From the belief that I have to earn your love, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. From the false security that I have what it takes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute, deliver me, Jesus. From all suspicion of your words and promises, deliver me, Jesus. From the rebellion against childlike dependency on you, deliver me, Jesus. From refusals and reluctances in accepting your will, Deliver me, Jesus. From anxiety about the future, deliver me, Jesus. From resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past, deliver me, Jesus. From restless self-seeking in the present moment, deliver me, Jesus. From disbelief in your love and presence, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being asked to give more than I have, 
deliver me, Jesus. From the belief that my life has no meaning or worth, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of what love demands, deliver me, Jesus. From discouragement, deliver me, Jesus. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me. Jesus, I trust in you. That your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me. Jesus, I trust in you. That not knowing what tomorrow brings as an invitation to lean on you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are with me in my suffering. Jesus, I trust in you. That my suffering united to your own will bear fruit in this life and the next. Jesus, I trust in you. That you will not leave me orphan, that you are present in your church. Jesus, I trust in you. That your plan is better than anything else. Jesus, I trust in you. That you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me. Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others. Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me all the strength I need for what is asked. Jesus, I trust in you. That my life is a gift. Jesus, I trust in you. That you will teach me to trust you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, I trust in you. That I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To learn more about Drybones Ministries, events, and initiatives, and to support this podcast, go to drybonespgh.org. Thanks, and God bless you.